Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens. Third country. This week, the head of the U.S. Central Command announced that the U.S. military's withdrawal from Afghanistan was complete. I'm curious what your reaction to that announcement was. I mean, the reaction was, you know, sort of BS, right? Matt Pilak is an Army veteran and a member of the National Guard. He lives in New York City. And I called him because he's been part of a volunteer effort to help people get out of Afghanistan. The U.S. military's airlift has ended, but Matt's group, it's still going. I've got friends who, you know, are sleeping two, three hours a night and go to sleep to get back up to hit it hard again. Um, it's just sort of adds insult to injury when our own government is saying, everything's fine, we're done, go back about your regular business. And we're in the background screaming, you know, hey, the building's on fire, uh, someone help. We got out thousands of citizens and diplomats from those countries. When President Biden delivered a speech on Tuesday afternoon, he addressed the messy nature of the evacuation effort. Now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. I knew the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan had been rushed. I knew it was likely that thousands of Afghan allies would miss a chance out of the country. But I hadn't realized the potential that we were going to be leaving Americans behind, too. Yeah, it's bananas right now. Uh, not a surprise to any of us that there, that there are still American citizens there. And I, I can tell you that it's definitely more than hundreds. There are thousands of American citizens, passport holders and green card holders still in Afghanistan. How do you know that? We have lists of them. <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're communicating with them on a, on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis, trying to figure out how and when we can move them from one point to another. To get people in Afghanistan from one point to another, Matt and his fellow volunteers are checking Slack channels and spreadsheets. They're getting help requests on social media and over text. They're calling friends on the ground in Kabul to find out about Taliban checkpoints and chartering private planes. You know, just when I think it's starting to, to slow down, someone else sends a message about there's 300 more you know, girls from this this American school, or there's another 150 SIV holders that are holed up in a, you know, undisclosed location. President Biden addressed the nation on Tuesday afternoon. He specifically noted the contributions of veterans like you, Matt. He thanked the, quote, network of volunteers and veterans. And he said, We're going to continue to need their help. We need your help, and I'm looking forward to meeting with you. How does hearing that from the president make you feel? And are you ready to continue doing this work? We're, we're, we're committed to, to helping as many people as possible. I think with the president's comments, 
it, it, it stings almost as much as the announcement that the evacuation was complete because the U.S. government has all the resources in the world to devote to this if they so choose to. For the president to then ask us to continue working instead of saying, what do you need? I will get you whatever you need to make this work. We don't need kind words. We need resources. We need aircraft. You know, we need action. Today on the show. When the U.S. military left Afghanistan, hundreds of veterans and former government employees rushed in to help. Inside the volunteer effort to rescue vulnerable Afghans and American citizens as the Taliban closes in. I'm Dan Diamond, health reporter for The Washington Post, filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volunteer group Matt Pilak is working with doesn't have a headcount or a centralized leadership. And it's been called Digital Dunkirk. It evokes the famous evacuation of a French port where Allied soldiers were trapped on the beaches during the Second World War. I haven't called it that. Uh, I think it's a catchy name and it, 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 it seems appropriate. We just re- you know, refer to ourselves as you know, Afghanistan recovery. Hmm. Let's start getting under the hood of, of this work. What was the first day that you got involved? Do you remember what you were doing? What, what drove you in that moment to start working on this effort? Yeah, I think, I think it was Sunday, two Sundays ago. Well, three Sundays ago now. Yeah, it's Sunday, it's Sunday the 15th. I was at home, you know, watching the news, sort of checking this out, and then started to see requests for help pop up on Facebook uh, or, you know, or other social media outlets. Um, it ended up having someone uh, that I knew reach out, said like, hey, I've got a, a few interpreters uh, that we're trying to get. You know, they have SIVs. They can't get into the gate. You know, this, this evacuation is, is just starting to spin out of control. I just sort of jumped in and started helping, trying to find out information. Uh, folks at the, uh, the Truman National Security Project, where I'm a, I'm a fellow, started to spin up as well. So this, this mechanism just started to coalesce and People were just pumping information out. And, and the more that I read, the more I just sort of got involved in it. And then all of a sudden, I was up all night, Sunday night, uh, until you know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out, hey, what gate can I send this person to? Who knows someone on the ground? Hey, can we get this family through the gate? You know, and hitting dead ends and hitting, you know, following leads and going back and forth. And then while I'm working on this, other families are, are in the same situation. So it's, 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 it's getting more chaotic, and the problem is getting larger and larger. And I think it was Monday morning, our time, I was on my way to the gym and, you know, the, these guys had finally gotten to the gate and, um, there were these Turkish guards there and they wouldn't let them through. Uh, they said they needed an American to call. And, and then the guard said, Hey, if an American calls, we'll let you through. So I just, uh, I was like, give me the guy's phone number. I'll call, I'll call the, I'll call the guard. I'm, I'm an American service member. 
and uh, called this Turkish guard on the phone, told him that, you know, Sergeant First Class Pilak needed his interpreter brought onto the base immediately. And it was kind of a shot in the dark. Uh, I, it seemed to have worked. Um, that was the only time that that worked throughout the entire evacuation. But, and that's what drew me in. And, and after that, I was, I just felt the call to service. And um, a lot of people I know were spinning up. And my initial reaction was almost to, to you know, to maybe stay away from it because I, I knew how I was going to feel emotionally after this. Um, but it, it just, the problem seemed too large. So I, I decided to throw caution to the wind and, and, and get involved. Mm. You were sergeant first class. Are all the folks participating falling into the roles that they had in the military? Are there are there generals barking out orders? Are there sergeants who are getting things done? Do, do you see yourself replicating in some ways the military structure? Uh, to be honest, no. Uh, and, 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 and to be honest, the last thing we need in here are generals. Um, that's, uh, yeah, we, if, you, if you want to get stuff done, you go find some enlisted folks and some junior officers, and that's who actually gets things done in the military. Um, if you want things to get broken and you want to create bureaucracy, go find colonels and above. Uh, that's pretty much the uh, the problem with Americans' military today. I don't want to get on my soapbox. Um, well, you are on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. It feels like it feels like there's you know 250 to 300 core people that are that are that are running the system right now that are that are you know absolutely essential parts of this mechanism. It's not just veterans. There are a lot of folks who uh, you can consider, you know, frontline civilians, uh, State Department, uh, you know, employees, uh, folks that worked at the CIA and, and, and similar organizations um, and, and folks that worked in uh, organizations adjacent to there. So it's, it's, it is truly a mix and you need skill sets from across the board, from someone who's a logistician to someone who's just willing to do data entry to crank numbers or names into a spreadsheet. So imagine that we're not talking now, we're talking a couple of days ago, and just take me through a normal shift of being part of this, for lack of a better term, digital Dunkirk. Do you, do you log on when you get off work? It's 6 p.m. There's a group messaging Slack and you you see all the messages that are posted and you grab an assignment? Are you getting work filtered out to you? Just walk through what the daily or realistically nightly routine was when doing this work. I mean, it, it, this is, it's still very much going on. Like today was just as busy as, as four days ago. Like we're still in the, in the midst of it uh, very much and will be for the next week. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, for, for a day, you know, in my life for this, it doesn't start after work. It starts at, you know, 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. when I get up and I check my computer. Hey, there's this group here or, hey, uh, word is there's a flight, a charter flight with 300 seats on it. We need to get folks manifested on that. Hey, who's got the plane? Okay. Hey, someone has a plane. Who's paying for the plane? Oh, crap. We need to find money. Hey, let's go to the people that we know have money. So I've been working in sort of a coordination role and have now sort of transitioned to really trying to work in case management of sorts. But basically we have folks on the ground. How do we communicate with them on a regular basis and how do we help guide them through this until they're to a place of safety um, and, and really building a team that, that can do that. And that's, it's an all day, it's an all day process. Can you tell us the story of someone that you helped Matt to get out of the country? I mean, I, early on, I had a lot of people asking for help. I was working with um, someone I got referred to, uh, worked with the, worked with these folks directly, uh, spent a lot of time 
you know, talking to them and then talking to someone that I knew that was on the ground in Kabul outside the base who was you know, picking up American citizens and bringing them onto the base, right? Which was part of the, you know, the government response. And for 48 hours, trying to link the two of them up, the family and the asset. And it was just missed connection after missed connection. And we just wouldn't give up sending them, you know, maps over text message, uh, sending messages about where to go, which gate to go to at which time. And, and then they sort of were just trapped in limbo. It was looking like they weren't going to get through. And it was, which was, you know, kind of a defeating feeling. And then the next day I got a text message. I was, um, I took a break to go meet some friends and went to go to the bathroom and looked at my phone and, uh, and got a text message that they had got the family through. And, um, you know, just started to cry. You know, I think they were a family of five and in a, a week or two weeks of losses, like not being able to get folks in to have a few wins to just get folks in. It just hit me like, like a, like a ton of bricks. I, I hope that I get to meet this family one day just to, you know, shake, shake the guy's hand and see them in person. I, you know, I, I don't know. We're going to take a quick break. More in a minute with Matt Pilak. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So you and your colleagues are trying to save lives from 7,000 miles away. And you are helping get folks out at the same time. I have to imagine that some of your information is piecemeal. You're not there. You're, you're relying on phone calls and what you can do over the computer. Did any effort ever backfire? Was any of the information ever wrong? The folks that I've worked with have been very careful about sending folks to a location without verifying that information first. Because with the Taliban on the streets, the worst thing we could do is send someone to a location that, you know, maybe was compromised or they were actually was a trap. I haven't heard of, you know, just of a disaster of a situation where we sent some someone to a location and they were killed, with the exception of the suicide vest bomb, you know, at, at the at Abbey Gate. Abbey Gate was the site of a bombing outside the airport in Kabul last week. Thirteen U.S. service members and as many as 170 civilians were killed in the blast. We all sent people there. I don't think there's a person that's helping out right now that didn't send somebody to Abbey Gate that day or the day before. And people were waiting there for days to get in. That's got to be the biggest. I don't want to call it a failure, but man, I, knowing that you sent someone somewhere and then it ended up dying as a result of that, um, you know, through no fault of your own, but it's, man, that, 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 that weighs on you. Matt, the fact that you and others have been doing this work for weeks on a volunteer basis is, is that a good thing that you and others can remotely, as volunteers, make 
a difference, or does it show the gaps in the government's response? To put it another way, do, do you see digital Dunkirk as a sign of success or as a sign of government problems? It's multifaceted, right? The, the digital Dunkirk, you know, or the, the, you know, this effort as a whole represents really the best of America. This is individuals, you know, putting service above self to help people they've never met and never will meet. Um, and and on the, at the same time, this represents a, a, a pretty large failure of the Biden administration to plan for this evacuation. I'm not a foreign policy expert, but everyone I know who is smarter about this than I am, you know, said we should have started in January. We could have started getting people out at a much more reasonable pace and, and resettling them. I hope we learn from this. Um, I think there are a lot of people that should probably resign uh, after this, you know, General Milley being one of them. There were a lot of failures. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, but I really don't care. (laughs) And when you say General Milley should resign, you're talking about the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's correct. Yeah. There are tens of thousands of Afghans who remain in Afghanistan, even though they are eligible for U.S. visas. And then there are many more who are at risk of Taliban reprisals because they promoted women's rights or maybe they worked as reporters. Do you see a realistic way out of the country for those remaining Afghans? I mean, there's a lot of creative deal making happening right now. And if we can make those deals stick and we can fill planes up, then yes, I see a pathway. It really comes down to a lot of people doing the right thing. Regional governments allowing planes to land or allowing planes to just overfly airspace, um, planes to get fuel and pick people up. It comes down to the Taliban, you know, sort of holding up their end of the bargain and allowing us to continue to evacuate people, right? I mean, they make, you know, make no mistake about it. Like they could have killed everyone on the airport in, in Kabul while we were there last week, right? And they, and they didn't. So, you know, that's something that we all need to realize, like that they're not some, you know, ad hoc force now. I mean, they, they occupied that city. And they had the discipline to wait. And that, that is, that's something that everyone needs to, to you know, recognize and notice. The, the Taliban could have struck the airport, but they had self-interest not to, right? Like, they wanted the U.S. military out of the country for their own ends. They, they appear to be around to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. And we have to reckon with that, which makes me wonder, are you and your colleagues in this rescue effort, are you working with the Taliban? Are you explicitly trying to cut deals with them? We we haven't. Uh, I think folks are in communication with certain people on the ground. I, I'm not sure who and and who they're talking to, but it's an unfortunate fact of life that you know they occupy that country and they're in control. So if there's ways to uh, negotiate deals that don't endanger American lives and still save Afghan lives, then those are the deals that that we're trying to make. You know, we put our pride and our, our egos in our pockets and, you know, we do what we can to get folks out, even if that means having to talk to the Taliban and, and tell them how awesome they are. This whole effort sounds at times almost implausibly ad hoc, where you've got volunteers in, in Brooklyn and Seattle who are from half a world away trying to tell folks where to go and get them paperwork and so on. It does remind me, Matt, and forgive the comparison because I know the stakes are so much higher, but it reminds me a bit of calling a help desk where someone thousands of miles away from me is trying to explain how to 
fix my computer or repair my washing machine. Did it surprise you that this spontaneous, unfunded effort became responsible for so many lives? I wish I had some hold music. I would put you on hold right now, like we were a call center. Um, <laughs> but I think we're all surprised and, and shocked at the sheer scope and scale of this right now. I think we haven't had time to process that yet because there, there are so many people that still need help. We're just driving forward. I, I, I even feel a little anxious just being on this call because I, I know how much work uh, is ahead of us today and how much work needs to get done. We're all quite shocked. Matt, thanks so much for bringing us inside your effort. And it sounds like you're off to do more work right after this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back into it. I just hope everybody knows that there are an incredible group of Americans that are working night and day to help these people. Matt Pilak is a National Guardsman and veteran of the war in Iraq. He's been spending his days and nights working the volunteer-led Afghanistan recovery effort. That's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Lena Schwartz, Danielle Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, and the incredible Mary Wilson. The team is led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. I'm Dan Diamond, longtime Slate podcast fan who somehow lucked into filling in as your host today while Mary Harris is on vacation. I hope I didn't break the show. When I'm not hosting podcasts, I'm covering health policy for The Washington Post and tweeting about my cookie preferences and the coronavirus on Twitter. I'm at T Diamond. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.